I grew up in a sports family. In fact, I can't remember a time when my siblings and I weren't involved in a sport of some kind. When I was in elementary school, I played basketball and baseball. And then when I was in junior high and for the first two years of high school, uh, I wrestled. Now, my sister did judo. Uh, She was amazing. She was a 14-time state champion, a five-time junior national champion, and she fought on the world team representing the United States and the Netherlands. My brother was an athlete as well. He wrestled, he played t-ball and baseball, but his thing was motocross. He actually won 10 races the last year that he raced. He was 16 years old. You know, one sport that I wish I would have stuck with was baseball. I really love baseball. I I started t-ball when I was five years old and then played baseball until the fifth grade. I always enjoyed playing against other teams, but my favorite thing about baseball was definitely the practice. This is because a few of my teammates, they, they went to different schools and I wasn't able to see them throughout the week unless it was at practice. So that was always fun to see friends that you don't normally see during the week. My favorite part about practice, though, uh, was being able to learn something new. It was always fun to learn something new, individually or as a team. It was fun to learn how to bunt for the first time or when the coach told you that you could steal bases. It was fun when the team learned how to make a double play. Now, as fun as it was to learn these things, the, the bunting and stealing bases, these typically weren't the things that helped us win the games, especially when you're in elementary school. You know, you don't resort to stealing bases or making double plays when you're that age. To win games, you needed to learn and practice the fundamentals. Now, I knew practice was going to be boring uh, when I stepped on the field and the coach said something like this. Today, we're going to work on the fundamentals. I knew it was going to be boring when he said that word. The fundamentals of baseball are things like just basic batting practice, uh, learning to field the ball, throwing, catching, and even running bases. The fundamentals were not always fun, but I'll say this. They were the things that helped the team grow. They helped us win games. And it wasn't until later in life that I realized just how important learning and practicing the fundamentals really were for our team. The fundamentals of baseball are the building blocks for the game, and they're an important part of what makes a player and a team successful. Well, today I want to continue our series, Summer in the Psalms, and we're going to do so by looking at a psalm that teaches us five important fundamental truths for how to respond biblically uh, during a specific season or situation in life. I said last week that the Psalms act as a guide. They teach us about God. They help us to connect with him relationally, and they show us how to live for him authentically. In a lot of ways, The Psalms teach us the fundamentals for how we can live life by God's design, the kind of life that's blessed by God. The Psalms teach us the fundamentals for how we can stay focused on God, regardless of the situation or season. And friends, when we get the fundamentals, that's when we get healthy. That's when we start to grow as Christians. Well, our psalm for today is Psalm 5, and I'd like to read the entire psalm, and then I'll provide some background and context before we look at these five fundamental truths that come out of this psalm. And I believe that Psalm 5 is extremely timely. It contains some great truths that are going to help you grow in your relationship with Christ and with others. 
So Psalm 5, if you have a Bible with you this morning, there's 12 verses. You can also use your phone or your tablet and uh, use the YouVersion Bible app. This is a great resource to have. Psalm 5, verses 1 through 12. O Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help, my God and my King. For I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. O God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence, for you hate all who do evil. You will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. Lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. My enemies cannot speak a truthful word. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery. O God, declare them guilty. Let them be caught in their own traps. Drive them away because of their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them, that all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Lord. You surround them with your shield of love. What an amazing psalm. And we know that King David is the author of this psalm. We learned last week that David is the most prominent author in the book of Psalms. He wrote 73. An interesting piece of information uh, that I learned this week about David. David had a certain title. He was known by the masses in a specific way during his time. So if you look at the book of 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 23, verse 1, uh, God's word tells us that David was known as the sweet psalmist of Israel or the sweet singer of Israel. Now, one of my all-time favorite bands uh, growing up and, and still today is the band Switchfoot. I've been listening to Switchfoot since I was in sixth grade. I remember sitting on the bus, going to church camp, listening to Switchfoot for the first time, and I was hooked. I really love this band. Now, in David's time, if you were to ask a random person on the street who their favorite singer, songwriter was, uh, who their favorite band was, uh, they'd probably say David. He was that popular during this time. In fact, we still sing songs, read poems, and pray prayers that come from the psalms that David wrote. These are the same psalms that would have been sung, read, and prayed by the early church. Jesus would have sung, read, and prayed these psalms. It's a neat thought that in the psalms, we have this great connection with people of faith that goes back centuries. You know, for generations, people of faith have learned about God through the psalms, worshipped God through the psalms, and have been encouraged through the psalms, especially during difficult seasons. So I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever gone through a difficult situation or season where you had no idea what you were supposed to do, how you were supposed to respond, or how you should even feel? I would venture to say that we've all gone through situations and seasons like this. And friends, today's psalm speaks directly to these kinds of situations. Psalm 5 is believed to have been written in response to the time when David's son Absalom attacked him. And David had to flee his throne. He had to flee Jerusalem. His son Absalom humiliated him, lied about him, and turned the people against him. 
And because of these attacks and these false accusations, David had to leave his home. Now, we know that David was later exonerated and he was able to return to the throne, but can you imagine having to live through a season of crisis and deception like this, especially at the hands of your own family? Now, whether or not this psalm is, is in response to this specific situation, we do know this. We know that David is writing, praying, and crying out to God during a season of desperation, during a season of attack, a season of false accusations. Like David, we've all gone through seasons where we've been falsely accused about something, lied to or lied about, attacked or hurt by someone we love. And the questions that we all face during times like this are questions like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond? How should I feel? The overarching question that we're going to look at today is this. When false accusations and attacks come, when I've been hurt by someone that I love, how should I respond? Let's take a closer look at David's response. And then we'll talk about a few fundamental truths that will help us respond biblically uh, during these kinds of seasons and situations. So if you're taking notes today, the first thing that we're going to talk about is this. Um, Start early in the word and in prayer. Start early in the word and in prayer. Psalm 5 verses 1 through 3 says, O Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning. Lord, each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. So right away, you can almost hear the desperation in David's words. This is a great example of persistent prayer and persevering prayer. David is bringing his request to God and he's doing so honestly. He's doing so early. You know, this isn't a script that he's reading. He's simply being honest with God about what's going on in his life, about how he feels. And he does so early in the morning. Verse three says, listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and I wait expectantly. Right away, we see some important fundamental truths here. First, you know, no, no amount of danger or discomfort should keep us from our time with God. No amount of danger or discomfort kept David from spending time with God. And that's a life lesson that we can learn from him. We learned in our series, Pray First, that God isn't bothered by your constant requests. In fact, he loves to hear from you. He delights in your prayers. Whatever you're going through, whatever situation or season that you're going through, God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you often, and he wants to hear from you early. And that's really the main point here, is that it's important to meet with God early, starting your day in the word and in prayer. So why does it matter when we meet with God, whether it's early, midday, or evening? Why does it matter when we meet with God? Well, I've talked to a lot of people over the years who've said, you know, I just can't read my Bible early in the morning, or I just can't pray in the morning because I'm not a morning person. Let me be the first to say, I I get it. All right. We're, we're raising four boys. I am not always a morning person either. You know, most mornings I'd rather stay in bed just a little longer. I'd rather do something other than read and pray. With that being said, I I do believe there's an important truth here about the importance of starting your day in the word and in prayer. When you look at the life of Christ, this was an important spiritual discipline for him. Uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says, Before daybreak, the next morning, 
Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. It was before daybreak. It was in the morning. We also see this throughout the Psalms. Psalm 63 verse 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you because my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. The psalmist is, is saying, I don't want my nourishment to come from anyone or anything else. I don't want to find fulfillment in anyone or anything else. Therefore, I'm going to start my day with God because that's where I can find living water. The kind of water that doesn't run out, that, that doesn't run dry. You know, personally, I was challenged and encouraged to start my day in the word and in prayer uh, early in life. It was when I went to church camp in the sixth and seventh grade. Um, I was a new believer at this time. I didn't know a lot about the Bible. But at camp, I remember we'd wake up, have breakfast, and then our youth sponsors would give us a daily uh, devotional that we could read through. We could read on our own. So we would uh, spread out throughout the camp. You know, they wanted to make sure that you, you had some time alone with God. And it was during this time in my life, I distinctly remember this is when I developed a love for God's word. I'd read through the devotional that was provided, and then I'd pray the suggested prayer that they gave us. But I'd usually have a little time left over, and it's during this time that my curiosity took over. I would begin to flip through the pages of my Bible, seeing book names and words that I've never seen or, or heard of before. I remember coming across books like Colossians, Philippians, and 1 Timothy, and just deciding to start reading. I read truths that I've never read before, never heard before. And God started to change my life through the power of his word. Throughout junior high and high school, I had youth leaders who would encourage the youth group to read a chapter or two from God's word every day and remember to pray before we walked into school. Because I, I remember middle school, especially high school, that was our battleground, right? That's where some of the difficulties, the challenges came from. That's where I needed God's word the most. I wasn't always 100% consistent. There were days that I forgot to read, days that I forgot to pray, absolutely. But I was always encouraged with this, that if you miss one day, um, it's okay. Just just try not to miss two. Don't, don't allow two to turn into three or three into four because we are creatures of habit. And when we get into a habit, we typically stay there. The spiritual leaders in my life, they valued God's word and they knew that it had the power to change lives. And what I'm telling you today, friends, is that God's word has the power to change your life. Start early in the word and in prayer. Now, I've been hit and miss over the years, but there's been two things that have helped me to start my day in the word and just to be reminded to pray. The first is, you know, I had to make a personal commitment that I wasn't going to do anything else first. You know, it's, it's tempting nowadays, especially where technology is to wake up. And the first thing you do is to check your phone or your email. There's still days that I do this. I need to do it less. There's days that you want to take a phone call early or start working on other work projects or things around the house. I had to make a commitment that I wasn't going to do anything else major other than, you know, brush my teeth, get ready, have breakfast. I wasn't going to do anything else until I met with God. The second thing that was really encouraging to me that I've had to remember is, you know, I've had to start small. If you decide that you're going to read God's word every day and that you're going to make prayer an important aspect of your Christian walk, and these things should be, I want to give you a word of caution. Uh, be careful to not start by drinking out of a fire hydrant. What do I mean by that? Well, if you go from not reading your Bible or from just hearing God's word when you come to church, or from reading God's word, maybe one or two days a week, 
you go from not reading and, and not praying daily to, to trying to read through the entire Bible in a month or reading two devotionals a day or joining three small groups, you're likely to fail because you're taking on too much at one time. It's like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. It's almost impossible. So instead of saying, I'm going to start my day by reading and praying for an hour or for two hours, just start with five minutes each morning. Read one chapter from God's word and then spend a minute or two in prayer, connecting with your heavenly father. I want to encourage you to start early in the word, start early in prayer. In the morning, our minds are more free from life's problems and and life's troubles. We're able to commit our entire day to God. Start early in the word and in prayer. When you do, uh, be honest with God, uh, letting him know how you're feeling, what's on your mind, what you're going through, and in what areas of your life you need help. This is the example that we see in David's life. He started his day in the Lord. He started it in prayer. He knew that God would would hear his prayers, and he waited expectantly for God to work. This is an important fundamental truth for learning how to respond to attacks and for learning how to get through difficult seasons. Number two, if you're taking notes today, this truth is so important. Um, Recognize evil, shun evil, and overcome evil with good. Recognize evil, shun evil, and overcome evil with good. Psalm 5 verses 4 through 6 says, O God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence, for you hate all who do evil. You will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. Here's a rhetorical question for you this morning. What is your natural response uh, when you're hurt, attacked, or wronged by another person? I know what mine is. I think we typically want to get them back. We typically want to get revenge. We want to have the last words. But as followers of Jesus, as people of the word, we have to remember that we're called to do the opposite of that. You know, there are echoes here in this text of what we see in Psalm 1, what we talked about last week, the the road of the righteous and the road of the wicked. There are two paths that you can take. You you have a couple options here for how you can choose to respond to those who attack you, who lie about you, who hurt you. Romans 12, verses 17 through 21 in the New Testament, we read, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. But here it is, overcome evil with good. Do not... Be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. These verses, they summarize the core of what it means to live for Jesus. If we're loving others in the way that God loves us, and we're learning to to love God and love people, we'll learn to to recognize evil, run away from evil or shun evil, and, and to overcome evil with good, forgiving and serving those who've wronged us. Now, I know this is completely opposite of what we're seeing in our culture right now. This is completely opposite of even even maybe how you were raised. But the truth is, friends, when you've experienced God's grace in your own life, the natural response becomes, the, the natural response now is, is to want to share that grace with others. Remember what grace is. 
Grace is undeserved favor. It's favor, but it's undeserved. And that's why Paul ends this passage in Romans in this way, reminding believers to not take revenge in our own hands, but instead look for ways to serve our enemies. Instead of being overcome by evil, we should overcome evil with good. And that example of what good is, of what love is, comes from what Jesus has done on our behalf. It starts with him because God is love. Well, the last three fundamental truths are a little bit shorter, and that's because we've talked about these before, um, but they're fundamentals. You know, we should go back to these. We should exercise these. It builds uh, muscle memory, our, our spiritual muscles. So number three, pray for God's guidance. Pray for God's guidance. Psalm 5, 7, and 8 says, Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. Lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. It's important to start our day in the word and in prayer, but we can also read God's word and pray anytime throughout the day, You know, asking for God's guidance and his direction in our lives. We should do this. If you look at the psalm that comes right before this, Psalm 4, it ends with David writing these words, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone O Lord, will keep me safe. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Psalm 4 is often called an evening psalm. And Psalm 5 is often called a morning psalm. This is a great reminder for us um, that we should pray for God's guidance throughout our day. Going where he wants us to go. Saying what he wants us to say. And serving how he wants us to serve. David ended his day this way, but he also began it. It was everything in between. When you pray for God's guidance, you're going down the path of the righteous, walking in the counsel of the Lord. Instead of walking in the counsel of the world, pray for God's guidance. Ask for his way, his path to be made plain. And we know that his counsel, his guidance comes primarily through his word. That's why it's so important to begin early in the word. Number four, pray for God's justice. Pray for God's justice. This is a big word that has been thrown around a lot lately. Let's see what God's word has to say about this. Psalm 5, verses 9 through 10. David writes, My enemies cannot speak a truthful word. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery. O God, declare them guilty. Let them be caught in their own traps. Drive them away because of their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. David was was hurting here. He was being attacked physically, lied to, lied about, falsely accused, and he lost friends and family during this difficult season in his life. Now, he could have done a number of things. He could have issued the order to have all of his uh, officers who remained faithful to him go out and kill everyone who had turned against him. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he turned the situation, he turned these people over to God. He trusted God's timing. He trusted God's plan in the midst of the pain. We see this in the model of the Lord's Prayer. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is praying God's agenda first. It's trusting that God has a plan, that God's purposes are greater than how I would choose to respond. For justice to be done... We have to rely on God. We should pray for justice to be done. But remember, justice ultimately belongs to God. He will have the final word. Justice belongs to him. And then number five, pray for God's protection. 
Pray for God's protection. Psalm 5, verses 11 and 12. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them, that all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Lord. You surround them with your shield of love. David concludes this prayer by voicing his confidence that God would protect everyone who takes refuge in him, that God would fill his people with joy, the kind of joy that the world cannot take away, and that God would bless his people. This is the kind of shield and protection that wraps all the way around you, not just something you hold in front of you. It wraps all the way around you. It's the kind of shield and protection that keeps you secure in Christ. When you're facing attacks, when you're going through a difficult situation or season, pray for God's protection. It's available. It's there. So five important fundamental truths today from Psalm 5. You know, whether you're being attacked, falsely accused, lied to or lied about or experiencing the storms of life, Psalms 5 is a, is a great psalm to read. It's a great psalm to remember and pray because it teaches us to start early in the word and in prayer. It teaches us to recognize evil, shun evil, and to overcome evil with good. That's the response that we should have. It teaches us to pray for God's guidance, that we would go down his path. Pray for God's justice, that justice belongs to the Lord, and to pray for God's protection. This is the kind of protection that goes all the way around you. As you continue to read through your devotional reading guide this week through this first book in Psalms, I want to encourage you to use Psalm 5 as a model for prayer in your own life. If you're feeling under attack, make a commitment to start early in the word and in prayer. Ask God to help you recognize evil, shun evil, overcome evil with good. Pray for God's guidance, pray for God's justice, and pray for God's protection. Let's learn from the life of David, but most importantly, Um, Let's learn from the word of God and live out the word of God in our own lives.